This podcast is supported by the Rights, Equality and Citizenship Programme of the European Union. Welcome to the Rights Reporting Podcast. This is a show aiming to improve the rights of blind and partially sighted citizens in Europe. My name is Neven Milvojevic and I will be hosting today's episode. Today we will focus on the important right of personal mobility. The right uh, is actually stipulated very clearly in Article 20 of the United Nations Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities, uh, the one called CRPD. And uh, personal mobility is actually a prerequisite for inclusion in society. For instance, according to the European Court of uh, Human Rights, to be mobile and to have access to transport, housing, culture, activities, and leisure is a precondition for the right to establish Uh, and develop relations with other human beings. So this all sounds very nice, but unfortunately, the political visions do not always turn into reality. And we will see that the implementation of rights often are not in place. Today, we will meet two experts, one from Ireland and one from Norway. And we will hear more about barriers and challenges but also talk about possibilities and tools for solutions. First, we will listen to Audrey Tormi in Ireland and hear about her experiences of accessibility when traveling. So, hello, my name is Audrey Tormi. I am a guide dog owner and I'm totally blind. Um, I am working with my third guide dog and I travel a lot in... um, my work and for uh, recreation um, on public transport. I use in Ireland here we have a system called um, the tram system. Uh, we have trains and buses so I mainly use uh, trams and buses and it's wonderful to be able to be independent and get out and about um, and particularly with the introduction of audio announcements on public transport. For me it makes it much easier um, I don't have to rely on asking someone where are we. I can, you know, get on a bus, get on the tram, ask my guide dog to find a seat, and sit back and hopefully listen to the announcements. So I live on the south side of the city, but I work on the north side of the city. So that involves getting two buses, or a tram and a bus, and then getting another tram a short distance. Recently, I was traveling to work and I discovered when I um, got on the bu- the first bus I take in the morning at 6.30, uh, there was no announcements. So I said, oh dear, I have to really concentrate. It really makes the journey a little bit more stressful, I think, when there's no announcements. Um, and especially if I can't see, uh, well, hear people nearby because I don't know, oh, is there anybody there to ask? So in some ways, I have to rely on my dog, so he's kind of conditioned to know what stop to get off the bus at. So we got on the bus, no announcements. The journey was a little bit, um, you know, erratic. Then we get our Lewis, or our tram, which is called Lewis, um, on the tram. There was equally no announcements as well. So I just think, oh, there's one of these days. Thankfully, I did meet someone I know on, on the tram, so I was able to, you know, get off 
the tram at the right stop and get my next um, mode of transport. Often when that happens, I do think it's good to let the authorities who, like the bus company or the tram company, know that, um, you know, that I am a guide dog owner, I'm blind. Often I, I have to remind people that it is so important because we don't see as people who are blind or vision impaired, we totally rely on the audio announcements and we need to have them working continuously. Now, I understand sometimes the system has to be upgraded um, uh, and the, the, the audio announcement may not be working, but it's vital and it's essential. And in many instances, I think it's it's a matter of safety for, for audio announcements to be uh, maintained and, and working correctly on public transport. Um, I have had situations where I got off at the wrong stop, I got totally lost and I had a trip off a footpath because I wasn't familiar with the environs. So this is a, a reason why we should really have working audio announcements and it makes a huge difference for, for all of us with sight loss. I would like to welcome our two guests for today's podcast. So first we have Elaine Howliff, who is an advocate, a member of a disability stakeholders group, and a member of a European Blind Union's Low Vision Network. Welcome, Elaine. Thank you, Nevin. And we also have from Norway, Sölvi Östenvik, who is the president of the organization committee of a Norwegian Association of a Blind and Partially Sighted. Welcome, Sölvi. Thank you, and thank you for having me. Well, it's a great pleasure to have you both in the show. So let's start uh, with you, Elaine. Uh, maybe you could tell me what your reflections are after listening to Audrey's story and uh, how, been, how would you describe accessibility in general in relation to being able to travel on one's own? Also, could you tell me something about uh, would there be any consequences for providers in Ireland, for instance, when they do not apply to what is expected from them? Okay, well, I can relate very much to the experience that Audrey, Audrey describes. Um, I have low vision. I don't use a guide dog, but I do depend on audible announcements. And to do my job, I go through all sorts of communities. And so I don't have um, a regular route every day. I need to find new houses, new hospitals, nursing homes, that kind of thing. So um, I'm very dependent on it. And for me, sometimes it's it's been very embarrassing because... When, when it didn't work or when the announcement was incorrect, I either got off at the wrong place or didn't know where I was going and arrived late to appointments. And that's really important. You know, we, we strive to get employment. We want to be as professional as possible. And then, you know, when we're, when we're delayed by these things, it's just not, it's just not, not good enough, really. Um, in general, uh, how are things, you ask me, um, I suppose traveling alone as somebody with low vision or as a blind person brings about many challenges. Um, you know, lots of mobility techniques and things are used, uh, finding safe road crossings, using audible signals. And in, in Ireland, um, things have improved greatly, I would say, over the last, or I would say over the last 20 years, things have improved greatly with tactile markings and that kind of stuff at train stations and but it, it kind of ends there. Um, so like funding, funding goes into making a place accessible or making a service accessible, but then very often it's not monitored or nobody's, 
Nobody's checking that the audible announcements are actually working. Um, so it can't be guaranteed to be operational every, every day or every time of every day. And um, obviously this makes a, this has a huge impact on, on, on our lives. Of course. And are there, are there any consequences, for instance, for the providers if they don't apply to what's expected from them? Unfortunately, not really. Um, so there are opportunities to make complaints. There are various committees that, that I sit on. Um, you know, there are, you know, apologies and that kind of thing. Um, when we speak with government departments who provide funding for these accessible features, you know, they, they are constantly improving and they are constantly investing and there is goodwill there. But unfortunately, even though we have ratified the UNCRPD, it's not seen as a right. It still depends on continued representation on an ongoing basis. And like legislation is there for equality, anti-discrimination. We have a Disability Act since 2005, but a lot of it is not enforced. And then it's really expensive if people choose to take somebody to court. It's it's, it's not an easy process at all. Yes, we, we, we can come back to that. Uh, let, let's move on to you, Selvi, uh, and to hear how, how the situation is in Norway. I mean, would you say that the experience Audrey had uh, would be similar uh, in your country? And uh, I mean, how do you work with the providers in Norway to to uh, manage this uh, challenge? You'll find the same uh, experiences here. That uh, audio announcements, uh, the providers have to have audio announcement, but uh, but still we see a lot of uh, providers that. Uh, doesn't use the system. Maybe they have the system, but uh, the, the, for example, the bus drivers, uh, they they take the sound uh, down so you can't hear it. And, and there is many many ways to come around this. Of course, we have a system. We have a very strong legislation in the in the Equality and Discrimination Act. Uh, and a regulation about universal design. This, these are very strong uh, legislations, but we see that the providers try to to come around it. So, so then we, the users, always have to report on it, and and maybe that's a challenge for many many users to take to take that road, so to speak, to to take uh, to to report this and and go through the system and it takes time you know if uh, it's, it's uh, almost the system is a quite you can say it is a parallel to to if um, if a person has uh, done any other criminal act uh, you know you know it takes time uh, the person or or the providers they are uh, they shall tell their story. They shall uh, give their argumentation why they why they do like they do, and and so on. Uh, so you, uh, when the governments um, uh, are laying out their tender and the providers uh, ask um, answers upon that, always in these documents they uh, they have to to take into account the universal design. But often we see that um, maybe they say this in the documents, but uh, when it comes to practical, do it in the practical, we see that 
sadly it's uh, it's not there they have uh, in some way forgot it or in some way they say that oh it's gonna we're gonna do that when the rest is finished and then all the troubles come because the systems isn't uh, isn't available or the systems doesn't fit with the the other systems they already need so so there's a lot of challenges but on, on many levels here i can see that yeah so Another part uh, I know is important when we talk about these uh, is actually the, the, the consultations uh, which are done with with different uh, stakeholders. So Elaine, for instance, could you explain a little to us the, the importance uh, of consultations as, as a tool and uh, what are their uh, possibilities uh, as well as their challenges? Oh, I think consultation is essential. Um, I think that it, it is needs to be full engagement with people and I need, think it needs to be clear that consultation is not an end in itself. It's, it's part of a process and there are lots of possibilities for consultation in Ireland. Um, we have a disability inclusion strategy where, um, and we have a, a group that sits together where all the uh, government departments are represented the disability sector is represented by individuals, uh, DPOs, service providers, and you know there is full in, there is full engagement. But still, you know we get uh, explanations and excuses and reasons why and anticipated improvements that will happen, and, and we're we're expected to be pleased about that, and we are pleased about it, but we often come across as very negative because consultation has been too late so the timing is the timing is essential also who gets included is important because ireland unlike lots of other countries i think has very few actual dpos a lot of um uh, disabled people have traditionally been represented by service providing organizations so there's a bit of tension there in terms of who gets in, included in consultation so it needs to be both and it needs to be open to any individual who wants to get engaged in in the consultation process and publicly uh, put out there, you know, people need to know there's consultation happening and you too can get involved even though you're not necessarily using a service of a particular organization. Mm-hmm. Interesting, yeah. So we can hear that uh, legislation is very important, but it doesn't really work always in, in, in practice. Um, if we, for instance, look at another piece of legislation, um, and going back to you, Sylvie, I know you are a, a guide dog user, and uh, I know that uh, this is very important as, a, as an aid and assistance uh, when uh, moving around. But how would you say that... Uh, uh, the rights are protected as a guide dog user in, in Norway and uh, would you say that uh, the legislation is important as a tool here? Yeah, I would say that it is, it is, it is very important like a tool here. Uh, for instance, um, if you're going to, to a shop and buy food, so you have the right to have your dog with you. If you go into a restaurant, you have the right to have the dog with you. So everywhere you go as a guide dog user, uh, you have the right to have, have the dog with you. And, and, and since um, it is not everybody who, who has the same understanding about 
what dogs are, what guide dogs are. We live now in a, in a multicultural world that pe- people come from many places. And, and it, uh, it's true that some places in the world, people are a little more afraid of dogs and, and have other thoughts about dogs than maybe we have here in the Nordic countries. Uh, so so when, uh, that's one of the reasons that legislation is, is important, that uh, everybody who, who runs a store, who runs a restaurant, who drive a, a bus, has the knowledge about this. And, and if they do, they do not, uh, we have a certificate that we can show, show the people that works in a shop, for example. That tells them that we have the right to have the have the guide dog with us everywhere we go, uh, like uh, like a child sit, sitting in a child uh, sitting in a wagon, like uh, like a wheelchair user uh, have the right to have just still sit in the wheelchair, you know, and and get into the into the shop. And how important is the guide dog for you? Would you say in your way, in your life, for being able to independently move around? Yeah, it's very important. It's it makes me much more safer. It uh, makes me able to 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 go to places that I I I'm not so sure I would go there just by by the blind stick. Uh, but now I can go alone. Uh, I'm much freer to go. Uh, almost where where I want to, so it's it's very important uh, in my life, and and of course I, I use it every day. I'm I'm at uh, when I go to work in the morning, when I go home in the evenings, I use my guide dog, and uh, especially in the winter time, you know, with the difficult uh, where it might be can be quite difficult to move around. It's extremely important with the guide dog. So I think guide dogs at least. For me, it's it's uh, freedom. Well, uh, how is it in Ireland? Uh, do you know that, Elaine, with uh, the rights uh, for guide dog users? Do, do you have any uh, idea of that? Yes, we do. We have we have legislation also the same. You also mentioned, Elaine, before about accessibility in outdoor spaces. And for instance, you said there is a, a trend with with uh, shared spaces, and and uh, um, there is a lot of things going on there. Uh, could could you tell us about? Uh, how you see the trends and and uh, what do you think uh, we should be concerned about now? I mean, for instance, nowadays we have everybody is using e-scooters and leaving them just anywhere. And I mean, uh, that must be a really huge problem for for uh, in terms of dis- um, accessibility. It is unfortunately it's becoming a very very significant problem. Um, first of all, shared spaces. Uh, relies on the principle of people making eye contact uh, between cars and pedestrians. And well, that just doesn't work for us, I'm afraid. So for a long time, I've been advocating against shared spaces. Unfortunately, we haven't got very far with that. And, um, you know, we have, um, like everywhere else, there's a big focus on uh, sustainability and alternative ways of moving around and, um, you know, the, the green agenda, which is very important. But, you know, the design of things, there, there, are, there are cycle lanes being designed that are taking away from the safe space of the footpath, for example. Um, there are bus stops where a, a person who wants to get on or off a bus needs to cross over the cycle lane. 
And these are these are getting planning permission. These are these are being funded and and approved. And for the likes of me with low vision, I have walked around for many many years on the footpath feeling safe. Now I don't feel safe anymore. There are e-scooters up and down the footpaths, on and off cycle lanes, on and off footpaths. No sound emissions, no rules, no high vis, anything. Um, and 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 they're arrogant. There needs to be a huge culture change because. The arrogance of cyclists and people on e-scooters is phenomenal. Um, and, and for the first time in my life, I'm afraid going around. I, I do not feel safe anymore on the footpath. And, and this hasn't happened by accident. This has been funded and approved by planners and decision makers. And it's a huge increasing problem. Um, I know that in other parts of Europe, e-scooters are being left all over the place. That is starting in Ireland and... Um, so that's going to become that's going to become just a nightmare for for anybody, and I, I really, I really think something needs to be done about it. Well, this is not, of course, a solution, but how would you say uh, the importance of of getting uh, uh, local training in mobility is in in relation to to the more challenging uh, environments? I actually don't think the difficulty is training and mobility. I think training and mobility gives a person the skills to deal with to deal with things, which is, of course, important. I think mobility training should happen locally in one's local environment. In relation to that, a significant amount of funding is going into a national mobility training centre, which very many people who are blind and vision impaired have objected to because it's bringing people to a centre in Dublin, which hasn't opened yet, but it will, uh, bringing people to a centre in Dublin to learn the techniques, whereas people want local mobility training. But the environment is changing at such a rapid pace. Local authorities are putting up barriers, obstacles, uh, little lips between footpaths and roads that are not colour contrasted at all invisible barriers to stop people from parking they're the same color as the footpath and the road it is just becoming a nightmare and i don't think any amount of mobility training will will assist people when the environment changes so frequently and this leaving um scooters around like you, you can't predict that the other thing that's happening is since covid around here there's been a massive increase in the number of people with dogs and they're on these really long leads and they're just, it's, you trip over the lead, if not the dog. And, and they're moving all the time. It's just becoming chaotic out there. And if you should give one recommendation on what should be done, what would that be, Elaine? Oh, I would, I would recommend that planners need to listen to the people who are being affected by this and not just listening to the, the cycle lobby, which is, is what's happening here. And it's being done in a way, it's, it's called, you know, it's all about increased walking and cycling, but it's not increased walking, walking for us, for people who live with any kind of disability. It's, it's decreasing safety. And I would say, listen to us from the very early stages and engage us fully in the planning of, of these things. Thank you. Selvi, it's often mentioned uh, uh, universal design can be miraculously uh, solving everything. And uh, for instance, can it replace uh, assistance at traveling points? Uh, uh, what's your thoughts about uh, universal design? Yeah, I think universal ex- uh, design is ex- is extremely important, and and uh, especially when you hear what Elaine tells about from from Ireland, but. Universal design doesn't solve all problems. 
you have to also have the personal assistance many places. Uh, for instance, railway stations uh, can be very, very large, very difficult to manage to, to get around if you're not very, very well known there. If you, if you go to the same railway station on daily basis or weekly basis, then you have the knowledge uh, of where you can walk, even though there is, are tactile uh, markings and so on. But if, if you've never been there or you are there very rarely, then you have to have a system of uh, personal assistance. Because even, even if you are g- uh, good at mobility or you use a guide dog, it can be quite difficult to, for example, find find the right track for your train. If if the tracks are not numbered in a way that, that we can find, for example, and, and which they rarely are. In many places, uh, maybe the the uh, especially on the railway station or bus stations, it is it, it isn't necessary indoor always. It can be outside and then you have to cross tracks, for example. So Personal assistance is is still still uh, very very necessary in many situations and in many places. Just like the system we have in in airports, all, uh, I believe all almost all around the world, you have an assistance system. And I should wish we had that on every railway station, on every larger bus stations, and so on. That would give us more safety. It was it would. Um, I would I, I would say it would help more visual people to to travel alone. So what I what I hear you saying is that there is no universal solution, but the universal design could be good for some people. Personal assistance could be some good for some people, and of course, uh, tactile and and other kind of uh, accessibility tools could be good for some people. So it it can't be one solution for all. No, it can't be. Uh, like uh, you cannot. How, for example, how can you universally design a, a, a cake with a lot of cream on? And that's the situation. It's not. It's. Uh, it's not always possible to to design it so that everybody uh, has to has the possibility to to manage alone. So. So, so we don't have to, so to speak, get blind on the universal design, but also see that, okay, sometimes we have to have the, the uh, have the right and the possibility to have the personal assistance. Thank you so much, Sylvie. You both have been really helpful in uh, uh, looking at these things and telling us about your experiences. Uh, now we are reaching soon the end of this podcast, but before we end today's episode, uh, I would like to uh, share some exciting information about a new platform related to the field of Braille with you. Are you new in Braille and want to grasp the idea of dots on paper or on a Braille display? Are you interested in methods of Braille tech teaching and training? Do you want to get uh, to know something about new devices using Braille to communicate? Or do you wish to obtain inspiration about Braille games or toys for your visually impaired child or pupil at school? Well, or maybe you are an expert uh, and uh, you do have some special experiences with using Braille you would like to share with others. Then the European Blind Union's new web space is for you. 
Let's create one place with all the information about Braille in Europe, buzzing with news. A place where everybody can find an answer to Braille-related questions. Visit livingbraille.eu, that is spelled L-I-V-I-N-G-B-R-A-I-L-L-E dot E-U. So livingbraille.eu and dive into the Braille world. Thank you very much for listening to the Rights Reporting Podcast. This show is part of a European Parvis project and is led by the European Blind Union, the Swedish Association of the Visually Impaired and the Eye Association in the Netherlands. This project is supported by the Rights, Equality and Citizenship Program of the European Union. Did you get curious and would like to know more Well, then you can find uh, our contact details in the show notes. I would also like to say thank you very much to our sound master, Emil Cornelis, who uh, is in the Netherlands. And finally, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on the next episode. Until then, I wish you all the very best and have a good day. This podcast was supported by the Rights, Equality and Citizenship Programme of the European Union.